Luke chapter 6, verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Just turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. (laughs) He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher. But everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you'll be, you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. Well, maybe the uh, most quoted verses, Bible verses uh, in the United States, I, I think there are three. Um, number one is money is the root of all evil, which is actually a misquote. It's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's the actual verse, but it gets quoted a lot. Uh, the second is cleanliness is next to godliness, which is not in the Bible. <laughs> For those of you who've used that, well, the Bible says, no, it doesn't. And then there's this that we just read here this morning. Maybe the most used uh, words of Jesus by people who would call themselves Christians and by people who would not, uh, these three words, do not judge. This is actually a very, very pastoral text because it solves a life problem. And the life problem that you and I have is distance from other people. So I want to talk to you about that this morning. Uh, well, I, I, before we get into this, I just need to ask you, I need to give you a test, okay? I need to ask you, how are you at, uh, just on the face, these words from Jesus, do not judge. How are, you, how are you at that? So I want to give you a test on how you are at not judging. So I want to give you some, just some items, just recent, in the recent news, last several years even, and um, just you remember what Jesus said, don't judge, right? Mick Jagger, he's in his 70s now. He married a ballerina in her 20s, and they had a baby together, and the news reported on it and said, this is great news. It will be Mick's eighth child, and nothing phases him. Don't judge. Uh, Jeff Bezos, who's the founder of Amazon, he uh, divorced his wife, she got a billion, multi-billion dollar settlement. He now has a, a new wife. I'm not sure if they're married yet, but they're at least engaged. And um, he just paid uh, $165 million for a property that's about 28,000 square feet that he's having completely redone for his new wife. Um, now, they've, they've postponed it, and you'll be glad to hear why. It's because they want to add another 1,000 square feet because 28,000 is not enough. And so they had to get a special zoning from uh, Beverly Hills to do that. Uh, but he's, so he's going to spend another multiple millions of dollars on this, this house. But again, Jesus, do not judge. Uh, I'll give you a little story. I've got to read it to you about a lady by the name of Carly and her husband. They got married. And I just need to read this to you because uh, you'll see why. Uh, this is Carly. She's from the U.K. Her expensive habit stems from the highlight of her childhood. 
The moment her mother, who ran a stable, deemed her old enough to fly first class. It was with British Airways, she gushes. I had to wait until I turned 10. I'll never forget my first experience of turning left on the plane. I lay back in the flesh leather seat, and I was in heaven. There were strawberries and cream available whenever I wanted. I could even order cute little hamburgers at the push of a button, too. It was really special. Thankfully, life has continued to be really special for Carly, who works in the public sector managing services for young people. Last November, she married Dominic, who runs his own engineering company. The wedding cost too much. She did say they paid for it themselves, and their Jamaican honeymoon set them back 4,000 plus pounds. But what bride would happily sit apart from the man to whom she's just declared, till death do us part? That would be Carly. Push Carly on why it is out of the question to remain with her husband in economy, and she can reel off quite the detailed list. The food is limited, the washroom facilities are constantly busy, the seats are tiny, there's just no privacy either. It isn't, uh, it isn't for me. So three months ago, Carly gave birth to their, it gets better, their, birth, uh, their daughter Amelia and their first family holiday to Mexico will take place in September. It wouldn't be fair on the other passengers to have her with me, Carly said. I will regularly go and check she's okay. I know people will judge me, but my sister and brother-in-law and my niece will be traveling with us too, so they'll be on hand to help out. I'm handing over childcare for 11 hours, not a lifetime. Don't judge. How'd you do? Now, I, 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 I'm, those are silly, aren't they? And, and the question we're going to work with today, is this what Jesus means in the face of obvious silliness? We're to have no opinion? Or is there more? So I want to look at this, uh, this text under three headings. A command to follow, an insight, and the power that you need to live this in your life. A command, an insight, and the power. Okay, command. Well, the words there uh, in the opening sentences that Jesus says uh, in Luke six thirty-seven, he says, do not judge, do not condemn. This is, a, this is in the, the, the tense of the verb is, is an imperative, so it's a, it's a command. You and I are commanded to rid ourselves of a judgmental and condemning spirit. It's, it's required, Jesus says, if you're going to be his follower, that you not have this. And so I think it'd be important for us to name and understand the judging, condemning spirit that Jesus is saying that we're to be rid of. So when you judge and condemn someone, here's what you're saying. You're saying, listen, I have the right to size you up and write you off. I can decide what you are like without knowing you. I can name your motives without knowing what they are. I can assume I know you and what's important to you and decide that what you think is important is not important. And I can just dismiss you with a thought. That's the judgmental and condemning spirit. And and Jesus says that you and I are to rid ourselves entirely of this kind of a judging and condemning spirit. Now, again, this is a command from Jesus. This is not a suggestion or a nice to do. It's a command. You have to ask yourself for a second, what does it feel like when you are judged? I did a poll um, a while back uh, on this whole question and on Facebook, and, and I got all these responses back. And let me just read them to you, and you tell me if this is how 
you feel when someone judges you. When they, when they decide what you're like without knowing you, when they name your motives without knowing them, when they assume they know what's important to you and they don't, and they write you off and they dismiss you with a thought. This is what people said. I feel degraded. I feel awful. I feel hated. I feel misunderstood. I feel like less of a person. I feel inadequate. I feel like I'm a failure again. I feel frustrated. I feel defensive. It triggers anger in me. I feel belittled. I feel unloved. I feel unliked. I feel alienated. I feel hurt. I feel ashamed. You don't need me to tell you that what judging does is creates a nasty emotional stew in the heart of the person who's being judged. You know that. The word that Jesus uses there, um, the, the two words of judge and condemn, basically are a way of, of, it's kind of the language of a court where you would decide and evaluate and have the final say and sentence someone, and, and, and you would choose to do those things. So, so here's what Jesus is saying. If you're going to do that, if you're going to sentence someone, then what you would need is you would need all of the information and you would need the backstory and you would need to find out what you don't know yet. But the problem is, is that you and I don't have all of that information. I love what Oswald Chambers said about this, if you know who Oswald Chambers is. He said, there is always one thing more about which you know nothing. Here's, why, here's how you and I judge. We base our judgment on what it is that we see. And the problem is, is that you and I don't see everything. Stephen Covey tells this story in um, his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, about this dad who's on a train. And he's got three little kids, and they're on a train. It's busy. And these kids are just absolutely bouncing off the wall. They're just, uh, they're just going crazy. And if you've ever had three little kids in a public situation, you know how difficult it is to manage. But it just seemed like the dad was completely checked out. He just sat there and they were screaming and yelling and pulling on people and things and just creating a giant mess. And finally, the people around just got so frustrated with the dad and they said, can't you get control of your children? What's wrong with you? Why, why can't you control your children? And it's almost like he kind of snapped out of a daze and he said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. We all just came from the hospital where their mother has been sick and died and I don't think anybody knows what to do. Now, when you heard that story, you had the aha, right? You realized, oh, those people didn't see. They didn't have all of the information. And if, you're, if you were able to see everything, see, seeing is at the heart of good judgment because that's what the judge does. The judge, when you go into a court, is the one who sees. And so there's a legal apparatus there's the attorneys and witnesses, and there's testimonies in a courtroom and, and uh, lawyers, and, and this apparatus is there in place so that all of the layers of the story can be peeled back, and the judge can see and make a good judgment. So when Scripture talks about God as the judge, in fact, Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 23 says this about you and me, he says, you have come to God, the judge of all men. What the scripture is saying is, in other words, God sees it all. So when you judge, when you have the full perspective, that's actually a God-like act. But the problem that you know, as I'm even describing this to you, is, but wait, who has that kind of perspective? 
Now, this is, a, this is actually a warning from Jesus, and Jesus is basically saying to us, listen, don't take God's place unless you have God's perspective, and a lack of seeing is at the heart of misjudging. You know, we, we don't see the beginning from the end. We don't see the start from the finish. We don't see A to Z in a situation. We can't read someone's heart. We can't understand someone's motive. We usually step into the story somewhere in the middle, you know, H, I, and J. And so we see the exterior, what's happening on the outside. We just don't understand or see the interior motive. And so Jesus um, doubles down on this. He tells a little parable right here, Luke says, in in the middle of this text. He says, so can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? In other words, when you try to judge, when you try to do this godlike act of having all the information you think and applying your judgment to the situation, what's happening is, is there's people who don't see trying to lead other people who don't see, and the result is that both fall into a pit. I just can't think of a better explanation for where we are as a culture, right? We just judge each other and condemn each other all the time. And so here's this command from Jesus, do not judge, do not condemn, you are not God. And I'll tell you in the frame of this message, it's hard to be close to someone who thinks they're God, isn't it? You don't really want to be, let's be cuddy, let's be buddy-buddy and cuddle. So there's a command, but then there's an insight. So Jesus gives it to us in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus says, given, it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We pour it into your lap. For the, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then Jesus gives another option. He says, okay, do not judge and do not condemn or forgive. That's an option. But this applies to both of those because you could read the text and think, oh, Jesus is saying if you forgive, then it's going to be poured back on you. But, but what here's, this is a principle Jesus is giving and saying that what you give is what you get. Now, I'm not talking about karma. Karma is an idea that, you know, if you do something negative over here, then in some other place of your life, life, the universe will somehow repay you with something equally bad. Well, that doesn't, that's, not, that's not a biblical concept. It doesn't even make sense. The, the biblical concept is more like reaping and sowing. If you plant corn, what are you going to get when it comes up? Corn, right? Like it, so here's what, that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, if, if this is what you put into the ground, you're going to get what you give. So if you sentence someone, then what they will do is they will sentence you right back. I was a kid's camp counselor. Um, if, unless you love children, I don't recommend it. I went with my son who wanted me to go, and, and I realized I'm not called to kids' ministry. Bless everyone who is. And while we were there, we had a shaving cream fight one afternoon. Do you know how a shaving cream fight works? Like, you put shaving cream on them. The other people that you put the shaving cream on don't just stand there and say, oh, that's great. Could you put more shaving cream on me, please? No, what do they do? They take their shaving cream and they put it on you. Change out the shaving cream with something else. Change out the shaving cream with shame. Like, I'm going to shame you. Guess what? Guess when you try to shame someone else, guess what they're going to do back to you, Jesus says. They're going to shame you back. 
What you give, you get. That's the insight. So if you give judgment, if you give condemnation, then a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over uh, of, of judgment and condemnation will be poured on you. You'll get judgment poured back on you. If you give forgiveness, then a good measure and pressed down and shaken together and running over a uh, measure of forgiveness will be poured on you. Now, there's a couple problems that we run into, even though you can hear this insight from Jesus and cognitively go, yeah, I, I, that makes sense to me. Uh, number one is uh, we don't want someone to do this to us, but we feel that we are the exception, and so we feel that we can do that to them. I'll give you an example. In our culture, we, uh, we prize tolerance, or so we say, and so what we say is, you know, we ought to tolerate each other. It's kind of a, a minimum bar way of treating people with respect, like I'll tolerate what you're about, right? It's just, that's not a lot to say I'll tolerate it, but I'll tolerate it. And so we, we have this value as a culture where we think it's good to be tolerant of other people, and that, again, base level. But here's what we think, you know, while we're doing this cultural dance of tolerance. Secretly, you do, I do, everyone you know does, they f- you feel that you can be the one who knows enough to be intolerant. So you and I end up doing the very thing that we say is bad. So we don't want someone to size us up and write us off without knowing us. But we think, well, I surely, with my powers of observation, can size you up and write you off. We don't want someone to decide what we're like without knowing us. I mean, that wouldn't be fair, but we certainly believe we're the exception, so we think we can decide what you're like without knowing, without knowing you. Or, or you, you don't want anybody to name your motives without knowing what they actually are, but you're pretty sure that you're the exception to this, and you can see someone's motives, and you can name their motives. You don't want anybody to dismiss you just with a thought. You don't want anybody to do that to you, but you believe, like I do, that I can just dismiss someone else with a thought. We believe we're the exception. That's the first thing. Second is, we, and maybe this is more prevalent in the church. I don't know. I think it's probably prevalent everywhere, but I I think religion has a hold on this in, in a unique way. We believe that judging somebody is necessary in order to get them to change. Well, how else will they change if they don't know that I disapprove? Like, anybody tried that as a parenting strategy? Any, anybody else? Just me? Okay. Just me. Thank you for the person who just said that. We believe that the way you, get, you force someone to see their problem is to shove their face in it, hold them to it, and let them know how they've failed. It's deeply ingrained. We even have language. That's why I believe it's bigger than just religion, though I think religion sometimes exacerbates this. We have even language about this. We say to people all the time, you should fill in the blank. You should try this. You should do that. You should go there. You should have this experience. You should... You should, uh, you should read this article. You should try this diet. You should. You should. And I just want to say, hey, don't, please don't should on me like that. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> and and here's, why, here's why religion gets a grip on it, is we even will, at times uh, when we really believe it, we even will quote Bible verses. So we'll go to a place like uh, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8, and that says, rebuke the wise... 
and they will love you. And they go, yeah, that's what, that's what I'm doing here is I'm doing you a favor with my judgment and my condemnation by rebuking you because I love you. That's what I'm here for. That's why I'm doing that. Here's the problem. Most people aren't wise yet. Listen, if you find someone who will listen all the way through your criticism and then ask you for more feedback, you have just found someone wise. How many people do you know like that? The issue is that most people aren't wise yet. And so instead of hearing your good news to them about how they need to change their life, um, insecurity and fear and pride and shame talk far too loudly in their ear. So here's, we're back to our culture who just takes the first three words of Jesus as the, as the piece of advice here that everybody ought to abide by. And so we say, don't judge and, and basically erase everything else that Jesus says. And, and the way we think about it as a culture is the kind of silly thing that I read to you at the beginning where we say, well, it's just better if you don't have an opinion about anything. And that actually is actually very judgmental because you don't see the whole picture. When you take just three words, you're not seeing the entire picture. And so you're putting your cultural need to not judge or have an opinion um, onto Jesus without hearing all of his counsel. And so you have to hear all that Jesus says or you risk being judgmental of Jesus. So Jesus goes on and he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank? You could, the word there literally means a beam. Like a big, you know, a beam, like one of these beams in the ceiling here, just a huge, a huge beam in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? What, what's, the, what's the plank? What's the beam? It's a, a judgmental and condemning spirit. So what's Jesus saying here? He said, okay, well, if you want to take that plank out of your eye, then the plate, you do need to judge. You absolutely need to judge. But where do you need to start judging? With you. Judge yourself first. I trot this out about every six months, and I will trot it out again in another six months. G.K. Chesterton, writer in the 18th century, brilliant man, follower of Jesus, the London paper where he lived had an essay contest and they said, they asked all these luminaries of one of which was G.K. Chesterton to answer in essay form, what is wrong with the world? Because that's a problem we've always had. Everybody else wrote long essays. G.K. Chesterton answered with four words. If you've been here, you know what the four words are. He said, dear sirs, I am. What's he saying? I'm going to start with me. I'm not going to look at you. I'm going to start with me. I'm my own problem. And it's so hard. So you, you, Jesus is saying, you start by saying, what is it that I'm contributing to this situation? How am I creating this? It's so hard. It's so painful. But Jesus says, it's so necessary. So if you have a command from Jesus and an insight about what happens when you fail to heed his command, how in the world do you and I get the power we need to live a non-judgmental, non-condemning way in the world. How do we get the power to do it? Verse 42, Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother. The power to live a non-judgmental lifestyle, how do you get it? I could give you a lot of answers, but I want to tell you what the gospel says. The gospel is that Jesus on the cross died for your sins and mine, and that the cross is 
God's judgment on sin. And God is the only one who sees the whole perspective from start to finish, from A to Z. And God sees all of the human evil and misunderstanding and sin and corruption and difficulty and mistakes, sees all of it, every bit of human evil and condemnation and guilt. And the cross says, instead of taking it out on you and me, who rightfully deserve it, and judging us, the judgment falls on Jesus, and Jesus took the sentence for you. Now, I want you to think about the cross. What's a cross? It's two beams. It's two planks. The cro- I think about it like this. When you see the cross, I want you to think the, 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 the two planks of the cross are the two planks of your self-righteousness and mine. And Jesus is nailed there on the beams of our judgment and our, condemn, our condemnation. And Jesus is judged in our place. He's condemned in our place. He's, he's the innocent for the guilty. And, and he's misunderstood. That's one of the reasons we stick up for ourselves is we've, we're misunderstood. You don't understand. And Jesus was misunderstood and he didn't open his mouth. And so my record of getting it wrong falls on Jesus. And Jesus' record of getting it perfectly right falls to me. So me, the guilty, can be made, in, uh, made innocent, and so I am in by grace. And if he did that for me, how can I then turn around, the, if me, the guilty person, how can I then turn around and judge and condemn you? I can't. And you know, like I know, that the world runs on judgment and condemnation. And so what the cross, the gospel says, I am now freed from, by the cross from that spirit and judgment is now forever an innocent man dying for his enemies who condemned him and then the condemnation can go and when i realize that the condemnation on me is gone then i actually can become a wise person who is actually able to because see we're afraid to to admit our part because we're afraid of what that means for us. But now, because I know the condemnation has fallen on Jesus, and, and he took every, saw the whole thing, took all of it on himself. So then now I'm able to judge myself first. It's, it's, my, myself is not at risk by seeing how I was wrong. And I, because I know the full judgment is on Jesus. And so I, then I'm, when, when appropriate, then I am able to gently apply to another human being an insight that might help them. And I can assess someone without sentencing them. I, I just, do you see that? Can you receive that? Can you receive what Jesus did on the cross for you? That Jesus saw the times and places that you've judged and condemned and you've been judged and you've been condemned. He received it all unto himself and gives it all back to you. He receives your record and gives you back his. Do you see that? It's yours if you want it. 